0: Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Uh, Reboot is our current teaching series. Kicked it off last weekend. Talked about uh, talk, uh, rebooting our lives spiritually. This weekend, rebooting our lives emotionally. Restore to original settings. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 42 is where we will be this morning. Psalm 42. Also take a look at your sermon notes there, part of the intro. Last weekend we talked about Christian hedonism, maybe a new concept for some of us, but uh, at Desert Breeze we want to help unchurched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We want to help hedonists become Christian hedonists. Hedonists, uh, a hedonist is someone who would say that, uh, maybe they wouldn't say it, but this is what they would practice is that uh, pleasure is their God. And a Christian hedonist is someone who practices God being their pleasure. Take a look at your notes. So Christian hedonism says God's worth and value are displayed best in lives that are most satisfied in Him. It's a doctrine that's both compelling and convicting. It's compelling because it encourages our natural desire to be happy. We all want to be happy. And when I discovered this idea a number of years ago, it was revolutionary for me that, that my happiness and my holiness are one in the same pursuit. Fullness of life and full devotion to Christ are one and the same. And uh, so it is a doctrine that's both compelling and convicting. Compelling because it encourages our natural desire to be happy, but it's convicting because none of us are as happy in God as he demands or deserves Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Rejoice. And I'll bet there's not anybody that does that always. We all struggle by rejoicing in the Lord always. In fact, take a look at this quote, Charles Spurgeon on your notes. Those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. And so, Here's the question, here's what we're looking at. So what do you do when you're not happy in God and spiritual dryness and deadness has creeped in and won't go away? Which every believer will inevitably go through, but not every believer will make it through unless they learn what we're going to talk about this morning. I've known people that have uh, crashed and burned in this area of their life. And so, Psalm 42 gives us some phenomenal insight on how we can reboot emotionally. And that's where we're going. I'd like to begin by praying our theme verse, uh, Psalm 80:19, for this whole series. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin with a word of prayer. And then we will take a look at this text and unpack these notes. Psalm 80:19. restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. By grace through faith in Christ Jesus, may the joy of your presence empower us to conform our lives more and more to your will. Not out of duty, but out of an inner sense of your beauty. And God, we pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, give us an emotional wealth A fundamental inner joy and confidence that no person or thing or circumstance can rob us of, but only enhance and deepen in our relationship with you. For your glory, in Jesus' beautiful name, we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. amen. So we're going to read through the text, and you can see on your notes, we're going to look at the condition, the causes, and then the cure. And believe me, every one of us at some point in our life will go through this, and so you really need to listen up, and because like I said, a lot of people don't uh, make it out of this and, and work their way through it. And so let me begin reading Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. You'll notice that oftentimes you can find these verses on a, a coffee mug <laughs> or, uh, or on a placard. But they have really nothing to do with something that's quite delightful. It's something that's very uh, dark and depressing. And so I don't understand why they would put that. There are probably, there's a misinterpretation of, of these verses. Because as, you, as we work through this, you're going to see. This is a pretty dark and difficult Chapter. This psalmist is trying to work through uh, darkness in his life. And so he begins with this metaphor, chapter 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope is in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now you'll notice it, it actually really continues on in chapter 43. 43, verse 5, the last of that chapter says basically the same thing. It said twice. Verse 5 and verse 11 and then verse 5 of 43. It says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. I like uh, particularly verse 4 of chapter 43. Do you see that? I love that verse. Then I will go to the altar of God to my, my exceeding joy. Those are sweet words. My exceeding joy. He's my exceeding joy. He's my most satisfying reality. Okay, let's talk about this. Here's the condition, and then we'll look at the causes and the cure. First of all, we see, number one on your notes, here's your first fill in the blank, spiritual dryness slash deadness with the loss of the sense of God's presence. Keep in mind, we're talking about rebooting emotionally. And this is what he's experiencing here. Verse 1, as I stated, gives us a metaphor. As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. Verse 2 explains the metaphor. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before him? So he's kind of giving explanation of what he's talking about here. Now, typically deer don't wait until they are desperately thirsty to look for water. Instinctually, they look for water before they're desperate. This deer, the psalmist, comes to the stream, God, but it is dry. And that's what he's experiencing. He's experiencing a dryness. He's lost the sense of the presence of God. And every believer has times in which they feel as though God is distant and absent altogether. And, and spiritual dryness is a, is a loss of the reality of God's presence. That can happen even when doing all the right things. You can be doing all the right things, and still experience spiritual dryness. Well, you've got to listen to me on that because oftentimes as Americans we immediately think, Oh, I must be doing something wrong. And people will even come to us and say, Oh, you're doing something wrong. You know, they'll go through the list. Are you reading your Bible, are you praying, are you doing all these things? And you can be doing all these things and still experience spiritual dryness. It's important for us to keep in mind. Oh, and by the way, it's a test. Spiritual dryness is a test. It's testing your faith. And uh, this is, is an important part of how God grows us up into people of faith. And, and this is what I know from my own personal experience. Once you've tasted, once you've tasted of his presence, his absence is unbearable. That's what he's experiencing. He's feeling that, that distance from God he's feeling like he's he's out of touch with God and though seemingly you know it's it's apparent that he's he's feeling distant from God but in actuality in actuality God will never ever leave us or forsake us so so you may feel distant from God but in fact we know based on the promises of God's word that he will never leave us or forsake us And the Bible tells us that over and over and over again. And so it's a test. It's a test as we kind of work through this in our own lives. Second thing, depression with internal restlessness and murmuring. And so we find that in verses 42, chapter uh, chapter 42, verse 5 and 11, and then 43, verse 5. He says, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? The word cast down, when you look that up, cast down means in the Hebrew, it means despondent, depressed, and or despairing. And then the word uh, turmoil, why are you in turmoil within me? Hebrew is restlessness with murmuring. So you're despondent, you're in despair, there's this restlessness going on inside of you, and you, you begin murmuring, you're, you're talking to yourself, it's like, oh, why is this happening again, what's going on, I can't, I can't really stand to be around those people, and oh my goodness, what is going on in my life, God, where are you, I thought you loved me, I don't feel very loved right now, so there's that murmuring that's going on, that's what he's describing here. And I started thinking, so which one of these comes first? I don't know. They could come at the same time. One can come first. You can have the depression that can take hold of your life and the restlessness and the murmuring. And before long, there's that spiritual dryness or the dryness and deadness, the loss of the sense of the presence of God that can lead to the depression and the restlessness and the murmuring. And, And what happens is this is the kind of stuff that drives addictions and obsessions, and the tendency is to want to medicate that in, internal turmoil and the stuff that's going on inside of us. We look for some sort of, and that's, that's the American way, we medicate. I know what, I'll buy one of those tickets from that Powerball. <laughs> and I'll, I, I promise, I'll, I'll tithe. By the way, the tithe for that would probably be about, uh, let's see, if it's a billion dollars, how much is a tithe for a billion dollars? <laughs> Is that 100 million? Oh, baby. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You better not tell me that you won that. I'll be camping out in your front yard. We're going to turn that into some really, really good. But, uh, I mean, so, so I don't know what I get off on that. Oh, medication. (laughs) I was medicating myself there just for a moment. If if I could win the lottery, see, I've already talked to a few here. They were thinking, if I won the lottery, I go, what? I said, you're just flushing your money down the toilet. (laughs) Yeah, dream on. But we medicate ourselves, don't we? Then we have to come back to reality. And then we recognize that restlessness. And as St. Augustine said, our hearts are forever restless until we find our rest in him. Listen, no lottery winning will ever satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. Only Christ can do that. Only Christ can do that. You guys know that. We have to be reminded. We have to be brought back to that. So let me ask you uh, a very important question. One that the survival of your faith depends on. Can you walk by faith in God's promises alone, even when you can't see or feel anything? I've I've been told that people caught in an avalanche, snow coming down the mountain, they're trapped, they're twisted back and forth and turned all around, usually are so disoriented that they begin digging in the wrong direction. That's why they need help. I also know this for a fact, that uh, if you're not instrument trained, if you're not an instrument trained pilot, there was a group that was coming out of uh, Prescott a number of years ago when I was working out of Palo Verde. And they got caught in a storm. They became disoriented and they flew the plane into the ground and killed all four of them. There's a disorientation that takes place in our life during times of spiritual dryness and depression, and we could do some pretty crazy, stupid things as a result of that, and we need to come back to the instrument panel of our lives, God's holy word, because that's our only way out, is to keep coming back to the, to the reality. My feelings are saying one thing, but the fact is, this is what God's word says. And uh, it's important for us to keep that in mind. Just because God feels absent doesn't mean that he actually is. Just because you can't track his footprints doesn't mean he's not w- walking with you or beside you. Remember, we did a couple weeks ago a daring faith for 2016. You guys remember that? Show of hands. It's four, five, six, seven, seven. Okay. Some of you are starting to raise your hand. Okay. Yeah, I know. There's a bunch of you that listened online. I saw that. That's cool. You need, you need to listen to that. A daring faith. We talked about what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we, do not, what we do not see. We live by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians five seven. God does some of his best work in our lives during... Times of darkness. This will be a test of your faith and joyful confidence in God. And no one will ever grow deep in the spiritual life apart from times of spiritual dryness and, and depression. You're, just, you're not going to grow. You've got to go through this. Now, here's some causes of this spiritual dryness and depression. Number one, sin and suffering, both personal and cultural First of all, let me just address the personal side. There's no sign of the psalmist acknowledging personal sin in this psalm. He's not acknowledging any personal sin, so that's not the issue. We know, of course, according to Psalm 32, David's repentant psalm, along with 51, That unconfessed sin can cause spiritual deadness and a distancing from God. And of course, you know 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let's talk cultural here just for a moment. Verse 3, first part of verse 3 While they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Where's your God? I don't know if you've ever had that experience before where people have come to you and said, You're a Christian? You just went through one of the worst things anybody could go through, and you say that God loves you? That doesn't make any sense. That's basically what what he's saying. Verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. That can certainly bring depression. Depression. That can bring a, a, a feeling of distancing from God. This is verbal, emotional abuse from people. Or it can also come from our adversary through people or just from our adversary. We know in Revelations 12, 11, uh, 10, and 11, Revelations 12, 10, 11, it's there on your notes, we, we have an adversary. He's known as the accuser of the brothers, Ephesians six ten through eleven tells us about our spiritual warfare. Probably the best spiritual warfare uh, chapter in the Bible, and uh, it talks about how we need to take up the shield of what, of faith, to do what, to to keep the fiery darts of our enemy from from coming at us, lying to us. You get a, get a sense of that certainly here. Living in a skeptical or spiritually hostile environment can cause depression. I don't know how many times when I was on, when I worked construction, I was on the fire department, man, I had to come home and almost kind of recalibrate spiritually. Just being inundated, pummeled with this kind of stuff. And maybe you're in an environment that's somewhat abusive. It's hostile to your faith. During our Braveheart teaching series when we went through Judges this last summer, the very last teaching was titled People Without a God, and we talked about uh, abuse. You guys remember that, don't you? Okay. And uh, we, the, the study was based on the book Mending the Soul, and let me just kind of walk through. If you're in an abusive environment, here's the things that can happen to you. Unfounded shame, powerlessness, emotional deadness, After a while, you just become numb. Just get the living daylights beat out of you. You just become numb. And that's going to lead to kind of a shattered intimacy with God and others. But let me give you these last couple verses, though. So that's what you have to be aware of. So sin and suffering, both personal and cultural, can begin to develop this dryness and depression. But it tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.10. So how how do we live through that? Uh, Paul says, kind of talking about what is our common condition here on this planet. We are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know what the opposite of, of rejoicing is. Because obviously it's not sorrow, because he says sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. What's the opposite of, of rejoicing or joy? Real quick, do that. See, most people think immediately sadness. Isn't that what most people think? The opposite of joy is sadness. Actually, he's saying sorrowful yet rejoicing. Actually, the opposite of joy is not sorrow, but it's hopelessness. Because he's saying that these are happening at the same time. There's another verse that kind of helps us to understand that. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says there in that verse, he says, we grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves because we have what? We have hope. We have hope. So here's the deal. Is this world busted up or what? It's a mess. You watch too much news, you're going to be weeping and crying and grieving all the way to heaven. And that's not a good way to go. But, but there's this balance, I think. He says, sorrowful yet rejoicing. I believe that Christians should be the saddest people on this planet and at the same time the most joyful people on this planet. Does that make sense? It almost sounds like a contradiction, but we should be we should be sad over the brokenness of the world, but you don't stay there. We have hope in our savior who has come to redeem us and restore us. And so if you're sad all the time down in the dumps, it's because you're not living in the reality of the fact that of the joy that we have, the hope that we have in Christ. But if you're skippity-doo-dah, skippity-day, my, oh, my, what a wonderful day all the time, you're out of touch with reality. (coughs) You need to balance that out and hang out with some broken-up people and busted-up people, and then you go, oh, my goodness, this is really bad. Yes, it is. You, You know, you probably haven't watched enough news lately. And if you watch too much news or listen to too much talk radio, man, you're just down in the dumps again. And you've got to get out of that and get back to, wait a minute, my hope is in Jesus. So you know what I'm saying? There's this balance. When you start swinging to one extreme or the other, you're out of balance. We grieve, yes, but not as the world grieves because we have hope. We have hope. He came to rescue us and redeem us. It's amazing. And so, yeah, this world is filled with sin and suffering that can cause us. We have to balance that out. Here's the next one. Poor diet and sleep deprivation caused by any number of things such as I give you a list chronic health problems anxiety worry relational conflict it can be demonic I talked about that anybody know what tmb is too many birthdays <laughs> how many suffer from tmb i do Believe me, my body is wearing out fast. My goodness, and I'm only 40 years old. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm lying, aren't I? Bro. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just TMB, too many birthdays. Man, your, your body just takes a dump, man. We're wearing out. But there's a number of things. I mean, believe me, sleep deprivation will turn you into an atheist. (laughs) I've experienced that. It's like, man, you're running low on sleep. Man, yeah, you're just, life is just generally miserable. And so these can all cause, listen to what he says. My tears have been my food day and night. This psalmist isn't eating or sleeping. And all these can deplete your serotonin levels, body chemistry, and they can change your mood. Here's number three. Disruption of personal and corporate worship. We need both spiritual input and output when it comes to personal and uh, corporate worship. Verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go up with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. But, but now he lives far away in the north. We're not sure why near the mountains of Hermon in, in Mizar. It's in uh, chapter 42 verse uh, 6. Here's here's what I think we can learn from this is that you cannot have a rich, robust sense of the presence of God and grow strong in your faith apart from personal and corporate worship. You need both. There needs to be times in your life regularly where you're withdrawing to lonely places and praying and connecting with God. But then you also need to hang out with other fired up Christians that you just kinda draw from their their experience and then they can draw from your experience, but you need both. Americans are very individualistic and we're seeing that happen more and more. 80 to 90% believe that they can be, that is Christians, believe that they can be a good solid Christian without connecting to a local church family. You can't. That's suicidal. I see it happen all the time. You need to connect with others regularly. There is a dynamic of God's presence and power and a depth of knowing God personally that you can never experience all alone. Matthew 18 makes that clear. Besides the fact that it's talking about church discipline there, it's also talking about the dynamic of God's presence and power where two or more are gathered. Remember those verses right there in that area? Yeah, there's a a power, there's a presence of God. C.S. Lewis in his book Four Loves, he had a circle of friends It was C.S. Lewis, Ronald, and Charles. Ronald was J.R. Tolkien. With Charles' death, he thought that as C.S. Lewis thought that he would have more of Ronald. And he would have a better experience now with, with Ronald. But in reality, he got less of Ronald. And this is what he said, and I quote, Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Isn't that interesting? And if that's true in the finite, it is even more true in the infinite. The only way to know God intimately is to know a lot of other Christians intimately. Your Christian friends see aspects of Jesus that you will never know or love unless you know and love them. And that's part of the community. And uh, and by the way, also he says, and notice in verse 4, he says, leading. He was leading the procession to the house. Not only is he not going to the house and, and hanging out with other other Christians, other people, but he used to lead the procession to the house. You you need input, but also output. One of the things that have that has helped me out of my darkness is helping others out of theirs. Oh my goodness you have no idea how much more that has helped me. I, I get more out of helping others than I give. When I get up here and, and preach on weekend services, you have no idea how much that helped me. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself. I'm in the front of the class. He put me up here because I needed it the most. Okay, so he can keep his eye on me. I'm desperate, I'm desperate for God. I'm desperate to hear what I'm saying to you this morning. I'm needing it as much as you need it, and more so, and it, does, it benefits me greatly. And uh, when you bear someone else's burden, when you get involved in other people's lives and they pour out to you the the devastation and the destruction of of marriages and finances and the issues in their life and they're facing disease, let me tell you something, that'll take you out of your self-pity really quick. It'll drive you deeper into God for solutions that you can begin to share with them. That's why it's so important to be involved in other people's lives, And um, that's what he's talking about here. And then number four, disillusionment over the events in your life. Disillusionment over the events. Verse three, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Verse nine, I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Did you notice that when he said that? Why have you forsaken me? God will never forsake us, by the way. You know that. But this is what he's feeling, and he's sharing these feelings to God. Why have you forsaken me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? See, you don't ask these questions unless your circumstances are inconsistent with your understanding of God. If God is a God of love, why, why, are you, why am I experiencing this? What's going on in my life? I mean, we all have hopes and dreams for our, our marriages, our job, our kids, our finances, our health. But when we have these, this level of expectation and, and life's reality comes somewhere down here, what is this gap called? Expectation, experiences, this is disappointment. This is disillusionment. And we all experience that. It tells us in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I thought I'd be much further down the road than what I am right now. I thought this marriage would be much better I thought my finances would be better than what they are. See, with that, there's that disillusionment over the circumstances of life. That's what, he's, that's what he's experiencing. I gave you here a modified grief cycle. It's on your notes. It starts with shock. World falls apart. Then it leads to sorrow. Your heart is broken. And then you've got to struggle through. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why? Why? Why have my kids gone south? Why did, or maybe you've lost a child. Why has this happened? What's going on? Why, God? Why me? Why now? Why this? We see Job ask that question over and over again. Why is this? Did you know that Job never, never saw why he was going through the difficulties? And yet he saw God. And that was enough. That's what we need. By the way, all the why questions won't really satisfy you. You can have those answers, but what you need more than anything is to see him. You need to have an encounter with Christ and know him and have that sense of his presence in your life. And then that eventually you've got to get to that place of of surrender where you experience the peace And there you're beginning to trust God's loving, wise control of your life. And then the sanctification, God turns bad into good. And then before long, it's service. You become a trophy of God's grace. And you can begin to put the devastation on display. And people will look at your life and they will benefit from it because they will go, wow, your God is good. You got through what? That is amazing. And God will use that in your life. And God will never leave you at any point in this cycle. But you must work through the cycle with all the disillusionment and all the issues of life. If you ask people who don't believe in God why they don't, the number one answer is suffering. If you ask people who do believe in God uh, when did they grow most in their relationship with God, the number one answer is suffering. It's not how great the pressure is, but where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you near his heart. Hudson Taylor. You've got to allow it to press you into God much deeper. Now, What's interesting, and I believe based on all these different causes, we could probably lengthen the list a little bit more than that, but as Christians, we should be the most multidimensional and the least reductionistic in our approach to life and dealing with dryness and depression. And we should avoid pat answers. We can't just come up with some quick, easy fix. It's more complex than that. There are those who say everything is physical, so... If you're depressed, you need vitamins, exercise, rest, and, and maybe some medicine. And I would say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. No doubt about it. Another kind of person might say that everything is psychological. You need support, encouragement, and a friend. And I would say, yes, yes. That's good, too. And then there's another kind of person that says everything's spiritual. They're more of the moralist. They they say, well, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you going to church? Are you rebuking the devil? There's something wrong. There must be something wrong. You need to suck it up. Get over it. Stop whining. Sometimes people say that, and they shouldn't say that, because it's much more complex than that. We try to reduce it down to some simple easy steps. It doesn't work that way. It's much more difficult. It's much more complex. It's much more harder as we work through these things. But more than anything, we need to have an attitude about it. And and let me just see. Before we look at the cure here, and the cure is going to be primarily in the spiritual realm, we need to cover these other realms too. But here's the attitude that I want you to begin to develop as it relates to finding your deepest happiness in God and your deepest satisfaction in Him. I'm going to, I'd like to throw a grenade in your lap with the pin pulled just for a moment, okay? And this is a quote from John Piper. It's a biography of Jonathan Edwards, and it was from uh, this biography titled A God-Entranced Vision of All Things. Listen to what he says we should be blood earnest deadly serious about being happy in God we should pursue our joy with a passion and a vehemence that if it must would cut off our hand or gouge out our eye to have it God being glorified in us hangs on our being satisfied in him which makes our being satisfied in him infinitely important it becomes the animating vocation of our lives. We tremble at the horror of not rejoicing in God. We quake at the fearful lukewarmness of our hearts. We, we waken to the truth that it is a treacherous sin not to pursue that satisfaction in God with all of our hearts. There is one final word for finding delight in the creation more than the creator. Treason. Treason. Edwards put it like this, I do not suppose it can be said of any that their love to their own happiness can be in too high a degree. Of course, a passion for happiness can be misdirected to wrong objects, but it cannot be too strong. He drew out the following doctrine. Persons need not and ought not to set any bounds to their spiritual and gracious appetites. Rather, he says, they ought to be endeavoring by all possible ways to inflame their desires to obtain more spiritual pleasures. Our hungerings and thirstings after God and Jesus Christ and after holiness can't be too great for the value of these things for they are things of infinite value therefore endeavor to 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 promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement there is no such thing as excess in our taking of this spiritual food there is no such virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting pretty heavy duty i love it that should be the most important thing you should do in 2016 cultivate a passion and a love and a happiness for jesus that exceeds all others that's what he's saying now how do we do that here's the cure pour your heart out to god pour your heart out to god both personally and in community what do we what do most of us do now listen to me if you haven't been paying attention pay attention now because this is important stuff here we go. What do most of us do when we feel far from God? At least this is what I do. And I can't help but think that this is probably what you do too when you're feeling far from God. We become more lax in our spiritual disciplines. Why is that? I'm not getting anything out of it. Why do it? That's what I hear from a lot of people. Well, just a waste of time. Listen to what John Newton John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, says, if you're getting nothing from going to the throne of grace, I can assure you, you will get nothing from staying away. (laughs) That's good. And what's interesting about this psalm, and I'm so thankful that it's in the Bible along with other psalms, in spite of the fact that God is absolutely absent experientially, this psalmist is praying more, not less. When you are dry spiritually, it's all the reason, all the more reason to pray more, not less, and to pour your heart out to God and tell God exactly how you feel. I mean, this is the whole psalm. Psalm 42, he's he's telling God how he feels. God, you've abandoned me. Where are you? My friends are taunting me. I don't don't even see you working in my life. He's pouring his heart out to God. That's important to do. Verse four, I pour out my soul. Verse seven, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Here's what I have found, is that religious people tend to stuff their feelings. Secular people tend to express their feelings. And this psalm, this psalmist and the whole set of psalms teach us a third way by praying our feelings. And this is what I've learned in, in my own life is that there's no... There is absolutely no healing in hiding. You can't heal what you don't feel. Feeling is the beginning of healing. You've got to stop medicating it. You've got to feel the pain. And then you've got to begin to cry out to God and take it to God in prayer. You've got to do that. We, what we, we typically do in America, we run to some sort of way to escape. We've got billions of escapes all around us and that keeps us trapped. We've got to have that sense of desperation because then you begin to move into this sweet spot of total dependency upon the only one who can satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. That's what he's doing here. It's, it's totally amazing. You can't heal what you don't feel. God won't meet us where we pretend to be, but where we really are. That's why it tells us in Psalm 40, 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And then we've got to begin to remind ourselves of the love of God. My soul is cast down within me. That's verse 6. Therefore, I remember. What is he doing by remembering? It's, he's meditating, he's reflecting. He's thinking deep about the love of God. He's reflecting on God's love until his heart catches fire. Do you know what that means? Have you ever done that before? I don't feel like you love me, but as you begin to take a verse of Scripture throughout the day about God's love, as you reflect on it, you keep going over and over in your head until your heart begins to catch fire with that verse. Verse eighty he says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. This is covenant love. I love it. Covenant love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So he's reminding himself of God's steadfast love, his covenant love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Let me ask you this. If there are any set of words that you should be reciting and reflecting on throughout the day, what what would those words be? What would God want you to meditate on more than, than anything else? What words does God want you to treasure in your heart today and, in fact, every day? Be good? Try harder? No, no, no. Listen. Here's the words. Here they are. And it's throughout the Scripture. I love you. I love you. And I died to prove that to you. Those would be the most important words you could, you could have resonate deep within your soul and within your heart. But it takes some work to get them down there. It takes some meditating and reflecting and thinking. I love the part of the hymn from Fanny Crosby. She says, blessed assurance in this hymn. Maybe you're familiar with it. We grew up singing it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Believe me, if you know that Jesus is yours and you have an assurance that he will never leave you or forsake you, that is a taste of heaven. There's a taste of heaven. And and then he goes on, and I love the next part. He says, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. When was the last time you were lost in his love? You know, it's a terrible thing to watch the Food Network late at night. <laughs> Nancy and I were watching the Food Network. It was the best thing I ever ate. Have you guys ever seen that show? Best thing I ever ate? And it was this chocolate cake. Oh, my goodness. It rivaled the Claim Jumper's motherload. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Where can we get some of that? We were lost in that cake, and we were looking for what were we doing? We were meditating. That's meditation. I love those. If you, we watched them bake it. We watched them put it together, mix it up. We're looking. Oh, oh, oh! What do you think? Can we find a place here in town? She's on her. She's on the internet. Maybe there's a. if there's a place open? I don't know. We can. Let's go find out. She he was meditating. I was meditating. We were meditating together. We were enjoying chocolate cake. We never did find it. But we, but we were lost. We were lost in that. We need to be lost in his love like that as we meditate on his love. Begin to look up all the verses and just talk about his love and just take them around with you. Oh my goodness, you will be lost in his love. Just, there won't be too much that will bother you when you understand that. When you, when you experience that more and more, of, of his goodness, and you abide in his love, as it tells us in John 15, abide, make your home in Christ's love, reflecting on it, enjoying it, saturating it, and the more you will experience it and be fulfilled and more fruitful. Number three, identify your misplaced hope and reposition it in, in God. <clears throat> So you pour out your heart to God, you remind yourself of his love, you're just soaking in his love and then you identify your misplaced hope and reposition in God. That's what we see in verses five and 11. He says, hope in God. And he's saying that because his heart is in turmoil, he's depressed. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In Psalm three, I gave you the example Here. In your notes, Psalm 3, when David fled from his son Absalom. I mean, imagine this. You're the king of this nation, and the son boots him out. is going to take over. And uh, what's fascinating about this story, two things were David's hope. Two things were his, his joy, his confidence, his glory, his significance. First was his, his love for his son and his family. And second was the love and acclaim of, of, his, of his people, and he lost both of them. And then right in the middle of this psalm, this is what he says. You're probably familiar with it. Psalm 3.3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So he was identifying his misplaced hope. I'm in turmoil right now. This This is devastating. And yet, God, you, you are the lifter of my head. You're my glory. And he's repositioning it in God how do you identify your misplaced hope you look at your inordinate emotions you look at your fear you follow your fear back to your heart to what is it you've placed your hope in other than God you look at your inconsolable your inconsolable emotions david is sorrowful but not in despair because his ultimate hope is in God having my son having my kingdom is good but having God is better so what we have to do is we have to rejoice in God until until our hearts rest in him and then we begin to release our grip on those things we thought we couldn't live without that's what he's doing identify your misplaced hope and reposition it in God and then number four preach the gospel to yourself we gotta get really good at preaching the gospel to ourselves verses 5 and 11 why are you cast down hear him talking to himself why are you cast down O oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. At some point, the psalmist stops analyzing his heart. Now, you need to analyze your heart. You got to see where are you so you can begin to share those and pour out your heart to God. But at some point, you stop listening to your heart and you start talking to your heart. He stops analyzing his heart. and He starts talking to the heart. Every day, your heart is talking to you. And at some point, you have to say, shut up, heart. Listen to me now. Most of us are really unhappy because we're listening to our heart rather than talking to our heart. And we need to have in our arsenal some really good verses that we pull out, like verses 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And you begin to speak those words to yourself. You're preaching the gospel to yourself. Because if you were to listen to your heart, typically your heart is in turmoil over you're listening over the fact that you're troubled over the past or you're struggling with something in the present or you're worried about the future but if you could begin to remember who it is that is with you that walks through your day with you never to leave you or forsake you and you're reminded of that you begin to preach that gospel to yourself over and over again listen to what J.D. Greer has to say I love this quote what you feel is not usually a good indicator of what really is you may feel alone but you are not, not ever. We must believe our way into feelings, not feel our way into beliefs. Feelings arise from faith, and faith is built upon fact, God's word. When we reverse the order allowing feelings to determine faith, in fact, for us, spiritual disaster, occurs. Now here's my last point, and then we're going to prepare hearts for communion. You can see, you can see it as you work through Psalms 42 and 43, the psalmist is progressively getting himself out of spiritual dryness, and he's not in denial. He doesn't say, I do praise him. He's not forcing it or faking it. He doesn't say, I do praise him, and he's not in despair. I will never praise him. What does he say? I shall again praise him. I shall again praise him. I will be a trophy of his grace. Things will turn around for me. Remember Galatians 6, 9? We we went through the book of Galatians here just recently. And what does it say? Do not grow weary. Listen to me. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Do not grow weary in well-doing because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Don't give up don't give up. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. His love never fails. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. Let's pray. As we pray, let's prepare our hearts for communion. Father God, we can know, you, you feel our every pain, you hear our every petition, you are working all things powerfully for our good in your glory. Whether we feel it or not, because of the cross. Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we can pray with confidence, Abba, Father, our Daddy. And as our Father, in your perfect love, you want what is best for us, In your infinite wisdom, you know what is best for us, and in your unlimited power, you will do what is best for us. We rest this morning. We rest. Help us to rest in your loving, wise control of our lives. Teach us. Teach us how to live by faith and not by sight for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.